0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. Uh, Lord, we thank you again for your presence here, and I pray that you speak this morning and not me. In Jesus' name, amen. Today is Palm Sunday. Uh, It's the day that kicks off what's known as Holy Week. Uh, This is the week where Jesus made his way to the cross, Uh, but this morning I want to stay in our current series, which is Encounters with Jesus, so what we're going to look at is we're going to begin with Palm Sunday, and we're going to make our way to that first specific encounter, according to the Gospel of John, that takes place after Palm Sunday, so let's read in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 12, starting in verse 12, it says, the next day. At at first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. And many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, I love this, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world... Has gone after him. Now, in the book of John, to get to the more specific encounter, we're going to move to the next chapter and just read three verses in John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. It says, It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now pay attention to this this verse here. We're going to kind of be building the message this morning on this verse. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, verse 4, and I want you to write down that word, so. I don't want you to read any further. If you're reading from your Bible or your phone, close it. Now, years ago, I was in the Air Force. I was visiting a church with a friend of mine, and uh, we're sitting there, and I opened the Bible to show him something uh, in the Bible, and the the preacher calls us out, and not in a good way. He says, folks, there is a time and place for reading your Bible, and the church is not it. And I thought, Wow. (laughs) maybe I'll just start my own church one day. And now we have Cranberry Community So the origins of our church now. So I'm not saying that this morning. I'm not saying don't read your Bible. I'm saying we're going to come back to that a little later. I want us to see as we're reading about the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, uh, what we're kind of seeing is this pinnacle moment in Jesus' ministry. By this point, Jesus has pretty much done it all. Uh, At this point, Jesus has loved the unlovable. He's touched the untouchable. He's redeemed the irredeemable. He's cured the incurable. Literally, the blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak, the lame walk, the dead are raised. And you know what a little bit of a problem is, church, that we can read those words today and not feel a thing. We're so far removed from it, both physically in time and sometimes spiritually in our relationship with God. So I'm going to read it again. I'm going to say it again, and I want it to sink in a little bit. By this point in Jesus' ministry, every sickness and every disease that the greatest doctors on the face of the earth could do nothing about, Jesus could cure by the sound of his voice. Jesus could say one word and every eye would open. Jesus could say one word and the lame would walk. And get this, Jesus would say one word to the deaf. Now think about that because the deaf couldn't hear him saying it. And he would say one word to those ears who couldn't hear. And they would pop open. That is the power of the man that we're talking about, Jesus Christ. At this point in John 12, we're getting right to the point where Jesus had just even raised a man from the the dead. Lazarus had just been raised from the dead. By the way, this happened, how? At the sound of his voice. And now his fame is so great that the Pharisees are saying, The entire world has gone after him. And we see this taking place because now they're laying down their robes and the the palm branches and giving him a king's welcome. And they're they're chanting, Blessed is the King of Israel. And John writes that Jesus recognizes three things in this moment. He recognizes that he had come from God, that he was returning to God, and that all things, somebody say, all things. All things were under his power and his authority and his dominion. And then he says, so. And this morning we're going to look at that so, but it's going to be just a minute. I want to first look at another encounter where Jesus encounters this man who recognizes on his own the authority that Jesus has. Uh, It takes place uh, in Matthew chapter 8, and just so you know, God is kind of funny, Uh, this week I'm studying for the message and I cannot get out of Matthew chapter 8. And if you've ever read Matthew chapter 8, it has nothing to do with Palm Sunday. And I came home and I said, Emily, I I think I know what I'm talking about. The problem is, it's nothing to do with Palm Sunday. And she says, it's a little unusual, but okay. The problem is I felt like I was supposed to talk about Palm Sunday too. So do we just do two completely separate messages? So I'm reading here about what's taking place on Palm Sunday and, and where Jesus says, I recognize, or he says, I, I, I know that I have all authority. God has placed all things under my power. So I start searching uh, these words under authority and under power. And when I searched under authority, there's two results. Both of them are the same story. Do you know where it's found? Matthew chapter 8. He took me right back to Matthew chapter 8, which is confirmation for me that this is a word for our church this morning. Matthew chapter 8 tells the story about a centurion soldier in the Roman army who recognizes Jesus' authority. In Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 5, if you want to read with me, says, When Jesus had entered uh, Capernaum, a centurion came to him and asked for help. Lord, he said, My servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve... To have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority. With soldiers under me, I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he doesn't. Does it? When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Then Jesus said to the centurion in verse 13, Go, let it be done for you just as you have believed. And his servant was healed at that very moment. It's the only time I can find in scripture where Jesus encounters a man and he asks him that question. Do you want me to come with you? It's like he was setting him up to knock this one out of the park. Because this centurion, his servant, wasn't, he didn't have a headache. The Bible says he was paralyzed and suffering greatly. And this centurion was somebody who was very well-versed in the arena of authority and dominion. You see, he, as a Roman centurion, had people that he would do whatever they said because he was under their authority. And he had people who would do whatever he said because they were under his authority. And he understood something, that Jesus wasn't just a man with, like, magical powers of healing, but Jesus was a man that everything came under his authority and his dominion, and the literal word there, it's it's under his jurisdiction. And he recognized that all Jesus had to do was say the word, and it would bring complete healing. And when Jesus saw how this man made this connection to his authority, Jesus looked at him, and he said, first he healed the servant right away. He said, in accordance with your faith. And then he said, the highest compliment, I've never seen such great faith in all of Israel. You know, his disciples would have been standing right there. And I bet that stung a little bit. Uh, My kids, uh, uh, one of them's five, I think, something like that. No, one's five, (laughs) and one's four, and Haley's two today. But the two boys, when they play baseball, Jr. is much more competitive. And what I've discovered, is as a father of young children, you cannot just pay a compliment to one child. So if they're playing baseball, Jr. will hit it, it seems like a mile for a five-year-old. He'll just knock it out of the park, and I'll say, great hit, Jr." And then Davey will say, watch me, Daddy, and he'll throw it up, and he'll miss, and he'll spin around and fall to the ground. And I have to say, great swing, Davey, because you have to give equal compliments to the children. And I, I just see Jesus almost looking back at his disciples. I haven't seen such great faith in all of Israel. It's gotta sting just a little bit. See, the disciples, it's not like they had no faith. They had witnessed and even participated in many of the miracles. The disciples, the Bible says, left everything to follow him. So in certain areas of their life, they had incredible faith. On the other hand, there's this Roman outsider who doesn't have the experience, hasn't participated in the miracles, hasn't been under the teachings of Jesus Christ, yet he recognizes that everything falls under this man's authority. And when it came to faith in the impossible and faith in the unknowns, his faith was insurmountable it's no coincidence that only a few verses later still in Matthew chapter 8 Jesus tells the disciples to get in the boat now he had just told the centurion, you have the greatest faith in all of Israel the greatest faith I've seen in Israel and he may have might as well have prefaced this next command with looking at the disciples and say saying let me show you what I mean because then he tells them to get in the boat. Now let's read that story in Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. So it's just a few verses later from the centurion. It says, They got in the boat, and his disciples followed him, and suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake. So the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and waves obey him. So in the span of 16 verses, he tells the Roman centurion, you have the greatest faith. Then 16 verses later, he rebukes the disciples, his own followers, for their lack of faith. I want to ask two questions The first question is, at this point, what have the disciples seen with Jesus? Well, they've seen the blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak, the lame walk, evil spirits cast out, you name it. So when it comes to the arena of physical healing, the disciples know that Jesus has all authority. And when it comes to the area of demonic strongholds, the disciples know that Jesus has all authority. But here's the second question. What have they not seen? They've never seen Jesus move in the arena of nature. They've never seen him move in this specific area. And what it is, is it's like a blind spot in their faith. See, church, when we have seen God move in certain areas of our life time and time and time again, we build up this muscle of faith. So that when that arises again, we just, we trust God. He's come through for us so many times, we just trust God. But what happens is, then we go into a season of life that we've never faced before. That we've never seen God come through before. And maybe we had so much faith in God in that other area, but today we find ourselves in this season that we've never experienced God's faithfulness. And we're struggling in our faith. See, the difference between the disciples and the centurion was the centurion soldier didn't have to have the experience of God's miracles to trust that Jesus was in control. The disciples, they had no experience of Jesus working in the storm. So the Bible says they were scared to death. So in a span of 16 verses... The centurion is applauded for his faith and the disciples are rebuked. But I want to show you something uh, really important here. The disciples were rebuked for their faith, not for their lack or or, or not for their fear. They were not rebuked over their fear even though they were scared. Jesus rebuked their faith. Uh, When Emily was in high school uh, some of you know the story she started getting really bad headaches and uh, they called the doctor and the doctor said you have a sinus infection we'll give you some medicine for your headache Uh, when in truth uh, the headaches were only a symptom of a much deeper condition Emily had a a bleed in her brain uh, and it's kind of a miracle that she's with us today was she was she was healed miraculously but what's going on is the doctors are trying to treat these symptoms When in truth, there is something so much deeper going on. And what Jesus recognizes in this story is your fear is a symptom. It's not the condition. He says your condition is actually your faith. And that fear that you're experiencing is just a symptom of a lack of faith. And that's why Jesus addresses the more serious condition and, you know, the Bible talks about faith over and over and over because I'm, I'm betting most of the problems when we have in this room if we struggle with fear or worry or anxiety, those are just symptoms. And I would ask you the question of how's your faith? Because when we fully trust in God and we trust in his provision and we believe and we, we displace ourselves in his hand, those symptoms of worry and anxiety, those go away. And maybe you're here and you've been fighting the symptoms for years. And maybe you're here and you need to address the condition that's making the symptoms come up. I think we need to get to the place of the centurion who said, I don't have to have a history of God's faithfulness to know that God is faithful. So what we have in Matthew chapter 8 is this man's response to recognizing Jesus' authority. But I want to go back to John chapter 13 and look at what Jesus says as he kind of recognizes publicly his own authority. Remember, this is this pinnacle moment following the triumphant uh, entry into Jerusalem. Everyone's all excited. They've just pronounced, you know, you are our king. And we get to verse uh, 3. In John 13, it says, Jesus knew... That the Father had put all things, somebody say it again, all things, all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God, so he got up, he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. On to verse 12, it says, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, that is, uh, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. This passage almost seems misplaced because he's at this mountaintop moment. He has just come into Jerusalem. He is the king. He says, "I, I came from God. I'm returning to God. Everything on earth is under my authority. So I'm going to humble myself and show you how to serve. How to recognize my authority and recognize that I am calling you to serve one another in humility and love and kindness. Now, we're going to take the sign-up sheet and pass it around again. Now I'm just kidding. <laughs> Jesus took this position upon himself with no reward, with no thanks. And he said, recognizing who I am, I'm calling you to serve one another. Do you know what's crazy about this story? Is Judas is at the table, and he gets to the man who's about to stab him in the back, and he doesn't say, everyone except you. No, he says, even my enemies, I'm setting an example before you, that I am here to serve expecting nothing in return. I want to specify this is not me asking you to serve at the church. This is me telling you that we are called to a lifestyle of serving humbly and loving others. In Matthew chapter 20 it says that uh, the greatest among you, it's not the one who does the greatest miracles, who has the largest churches. The greatest among you is the one who serves. There are so many areas in the kingdom of God where we've always looked at it this way, and and the pedestal is where you want to be, and Jesus takes it and he flips it completely on its head, and he said, no, where you want to be is in that position of serving one another, loving one another, humbling yourselves. Renee, if you and the team want to go ahead and come up, Uh, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and open these up. I always tell you that because it's really loud, so it's really distracting if you do it in the more intimate moments. As we're reading John's account of this triumphant entry and everyone is celebrating the person of Jesus Christ, we've been talking about that first encounter that takes place. I want to read to you the first words that take uh, take place out of Jesus' mouth in John chapter 12, verse 23. They're all celebrating him and Jesus says, "...the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified." Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So everyone in Jerusalem is celebrating this moment, but Jesus recognizes it as something else. Jesus knows this is the first step in the road to the cross. Jesus knows that while everyone around him is celebrating, the time has come for him to approach the cross. As we celebrate Palm Sunday and we recognize the the coming King, we also take the time to remember that Jesus saw this as much more. Jesus saw this as those first steps to the cross. I think I'm gonna do this this morning how I I did it last time. And I'm gonna invite you to stand. And I'm gonna read the passage in in Corinthians. And I'm gonna ask you as the, the worship team leads us that you would take of the communion in your own timing. Whenever you can find Jesus Christ in your mind's eye, whenever you can see him and touch him in that moment, when you make that connection is when I want you to take communion. So Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11:23 he said, "I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, are able to connect with you and to remember everything that you did for us on the cross so that we could experience you today and for all uh, all eternity, God. Meet with us here, I pray, in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you this morning that you, God, the King above all kings, you've called us friends. I pray as we leave this place this morning, God, that we would recognize opportunities to serve and to love in the way that you showed us. And I pray that uh, burdens, God, would truly be lifted in your presence, that, that we would recognize your authority, God, over every arena of life, and that we would give those things to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, thank you so much for coming out. Uh, Have a great day. Next week, uh, it's a day called Easter. A lot of people will come to church on Easter, no other day. So let's get them here next week. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.